Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray you would fix our eyes on you and your great banquet that awaits us. Lord, I pray that you would help us understand this passage, that you would bring it to life by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we're drawing near the end of this sermon series called Abundance for Others, which we are seeking as a church to say God has given us abundance. He has blessed us so that we would be a blessing to other people. And the last three weeks we've been looking at who are the others that we're to bless. And we've looked at God's heart for the last, for the least. And today I'm going to be talking about God's heart for the lost. And in some senses, this sermon is going to be a little bit like episode two from the sermon that I preached a few weeks ago about invitation, that it's invitation that leads to transformation, and that our role is to invite people to follow Jesus, and it's Jesus's role to transform their lives. But the reason, uh, and I want to just give you a little bit of a report real quick on how Alpha is going. So we are seeing more people come to Alpha this semester that are coming from, that that would not call themselves Christians or that are uh, asking questions, that are seeking, than we've had in the last three years that we've been doing Alpha. Um, It's pretty amazing. So I want to thank you guys for your prayers, for your faithfulness, for your looking for opportunities to invite people and for inviting people. And my sermon that I preached a couple weeks ago was somewhat simplistic because it was just like, if you invite them, they will come and Jesus will change their life. But the reality is you guys were like, yeah, let's go do it. And some of you guys invited people and then uh, they were like, no, I'm sorry, I'm too busy. I can't, you know, I'm not available. Or maybe they said, yeah, that sounds great. And then like night one came and you didn't hear anything. You texted them and you're like, hey, are you going to come tonight? And they didn't, they didn't show up. So I want to look at what do we do when we reach out to invite somebody and they decide not to come? Because a lot of times that can be discouraging Some of us have done that in the past and we're like, man, it made the relationship awkward. I don't know if I want to do that anymore. So what do we do if people have barriers up to Jesus? And we're going to be looking at this passage here to to unpack a little bit of what God does, what we see Jesus' plan for the world is. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Luke 14. Luke 14, we're going to start in verse 15. This is page 874 in the Pew Bible. It says, When one of those who reclined at table with Jesus heard these things, he said to Jesus, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many people. And the time for the, at the time for the banquet, he sent to his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. So he had He had slaughtered the fattened calf. You know, the invites were already out. And they said, okay, now the party is here. Come on, everybody, let's go. It's party time. Um, And I think it's important for us to establish a little bit of what we're inviting people into. That oftentimes, when we think about what is the kingdom of God about? What has Jesus come to do? A lot of people, their perception of Christianity is that, you know, Following Jesus is about, you know, acting rightly. That you better be on your best behavior because God is watching you. Or, you know, following God is all about kind of sitting in a, a room alone with a candle lit and kind of being very quiet 
and being very, you know, holy. And oftentimes, our experience of Christianity, as the, 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 the further we follow Jesus and we encounter trials and things like that, um, we can tend to take on a little bit of a somber uh, attitude towards you know, the Christian life is about obedience. And, you know, we have to, you know, worship and these are all the things that we have to do. And yes, Christian life is about obedience and it is about worshiping God. But there's more to it than that. And A.A. A. Bruce, uh, a Scottish theologian, kind of got into this type of mindset where it was a little bit of gloomy Christianity. And he said that I cannot conceive of Jesus playing games as a child. He said in his, in his earthly ministry as an adult, I can't, I can't imagine Jesus smiling. And we can kind of have that mentality. When my wife uh, first saw me, we met at church. And every Sunday, uh, I wore a black shirt to church. And he's like, man, that guy just looks really sad. And I was a follower of Jesus. Um, I was going through a hard time and I looked really sad. It's probably because I didn't have that many dress shirts. So I probably only had a black dress shirt. <laughs> uh, but uh, she's like, that guy looks really sad. And we can get into that mentality um, where we're just serious-minded Christians. Martin Luther, who is known to struggle with melancholy, he ha uh, one day he was really struggling and his wife said, why don't you go off for a retreat, um, spend some time with the Lord. And he came back and he was still downtrodden and distraught. And so uh, the next day, he's sitting um, doing some study and his wife comes down and she's wearing all black. And he says to her, you know, well, who's died? You know, like, is there a funeral today? And he, she said, God is dead. And he's like, what? God is dead? And he says, yes, God must be dead because Martin Luther would... If he had a living God to trust in, he wouldn't have this disposition. And he just started cracking up. And that broke open to him the remembrance of all the promises of God. That in the midst of his trials and his tribulations, he had the promises of God. And the riches of God's grace were available to him. And in this passage, but not only this passage, many passages in Scripture portray the kingdom of God like a party, like a feast, like a... A big banquet. What does the prodigal, uh, when the prodigal son returns, what does the, the father do? He kills the fattened calf and he have a party, right? When Jesus shows up at, does his first uh, miracle in Cana, shows up at the wedding, what does he do? He brings the wine. Now, that's not generally my experience of how people perceive uh, Christians. So, I've been doing a fair amount of weddings lately, um, and it's always funny for me. What I'll, I'll generally hang out with the groomsmen beforehand, and what I like to do is kind of slip into the room. Um, and the groom always knows me. We've been doing premarital counseling. We always have a relationship, and I'll go up to him and shake his hand and say, man, I'm so excited for you, praying for you today. Um, but the other guys, they don't know me. Um, and so it's so funny because a lot of times, you know, groomsmen are like, yeah, we got to be cool. And, you know, sometimes they're drinking choice beverages before uh, the wedding. Sometimes they're using choice language sometimes before the wedding. And it's always funny because they're hanging out and then they like look in the corner of their, their eye and they see me and then they see my collar and they're like, oh, sorry, Father. I, have I said anything wrong? And, but that's, that's not what Jesus came to do, right? He shows up at the wedding and he brings the wine. And 
In Revelation, the picture that we're given is a wedding feast where it says, Blessed is all who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Isaiah 25 paints a picture. It says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. That Jesus has come to inaugurate the party people, right? And we are party people as children of God. Now, it seems a little bit weird, and especially as we're heading into Lent, right? Because, I said, so we got to get, you know, we got to talk about the party while we can. Um, we're heading into Lent, and there's going to be 40 days where we're going to focus on fasting. We're going to focus on our, our on repenting. We're going to focus on uh, self-reflection. You know, where are some of my life out of balance? But, does anybody know how long Easter is? Most of the time, we think Easter is one day. 40 days of fasting, one day of celebration, all right, back to life. But the Easter season is 50 days. And that's meant to say that, yes, we as Christians should look at our sin. We should be in repentance. But we should be rejoicing even all that much more for the freedom and the joy and the power that Jesus has won for us on the cross. That we, as God's children, are party people. Uh, it sounds weird to say that, right, in church. But that's what we are. That's what defines us. And the picture here that Jesus paints is that of a banquet. And the master of the banquet is saying, sin now. The, the party time is now. The lamb has been slain. The, the fattened calf has been slain. It's time to inaugurate that party. And then what do we see? So first off, we've established what God has come to do. He's come to get the party going. It's a little bit weird. I'm not a huge party guy. I don't even love parties, but I can't get around that that's what the scripture says. That that's what Jesus has come to inaugurate. That's what we're inviting people into, a life of celebration for what Jesus has done for us. Now, how do the people in the story respond? They all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, Oh, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me be excused. And all the commentators agree that this is a made-up excuse. Because no one would buy a field in that day and age, which would be their livelihood, which would be their business, would be their work. Nobody would buy a field without looking at it. It would be like buying a business without knowing anything about it. Nobody would do that. But what he's basically saying is, I'm too busy. My work is too busy. I don't have time for you Master, I don't have time for God. And we see that in our life all the time. Somebody that you invited may be like, guys, my, my business life is just too busy right now. And before we start, you know, dabbing at little twigs in people's eyes, we also have to see the log in our own eye. Oftentimes we're so busy about our work that we don't have as much time for God. And I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to confess it. Even in ministry, I can be so busy that just being with God, feasting on the riches of His grace, I don't always make time for that. And I had that experience when we did our Rooted Prayer experience this past week. And basically what it is, is we tell the people going through Rooted, block off an hour and a half of your time, come to the church and be alone with Jesus. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And so I got them all going and then I just sat and was alone with Jesus. And I remember it was like, like an empty jar being filled up with the love of God. And I was like, God, man, this is so good. You are so rich. You are so loving. 
And he's like, Dan, I'm always available to you. My wedding feast is always open. Come feast on the riches of my love. But oftentimes I don't because, God, I'm too busy with my work. And then the second excuse that we see is an excuse that all of us have, have right? You know, every time that we buy oxen, we have to go check out what, they, you know, what their mouths look like, right? So he says, hey, I've, I've just bought five oxen. I've got to go examine them. And that is that idea of the novelty of new things our new experiences. So oftentimes, our desire for new things and new experiences, new toys. You know, I got a new boat. I've got to, you know, I got to get my money's worth out of it. You know, I've got season tickets. I got to get every single game in. All of this desire for new experience can crowd out God in our lives, if we're honest. And if we as Christians are, are that way, then, then we would assume that people that are in our lives that we might be inviting to follow Jesus are struggling with the same thing. And then the next thing is, and this is one where you kind of scratch your head, where you're saying, okay, so this guy, he comes to this guy and he says, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. And, yeah. Um, as if you can't go to a party with your wife. Um, so, but even what that tells us that even the good things in life, like there's nothing better than a home and a wife and your children. There's nothing better, but even the good things can crowd out God. But it's short-sighted because it's our relationship with God that empowers us to be able to love and to forgive and to do all those things that allow a home and a family and a marriage to thrive and to function. And so even the good things can crowd out God in our lives. And so what does God do? When we have these excuses, when people in our lives have these excuses, is he like, that's it. The party's off. Forget you guys. I never should have invited y'all in the first place. The gospel is this, that while we were yet sinners, while we were still breathing excuses, Jesus died for us. He laid down his life for us. The Father slaughtered the fattened calf before we even responded and is saying, my feast is open, come. But we have to respond to that invitation. So this morning, if you're saying, you know what, I've been putting off God for a while. God's saying, come, respond to the invitation. That it's through responding to that invitation, not through earning it, not through being a great Christian. It's just through simply coming that you will get life, that you will get joy, that you will be filled by me. And for those of you who maybe invited people and you, you know, they said, I've got too much going on. Well, now you know how to pray for them, Right? And so I would encourage you, if somebody, you invited somebody, reached out to them, and they said, my life is too busy, my family's got too much going on, I'm really busy at work, now we know how to pray for them. So the first application today is pray into those things for them, because it's only prayer, it's only God that can change their heart, not us, it's not us convincing them. So that's the first thing. But is that all we can do? It's just pray. No, we see in the very next line of the passage, the master says to his servants, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes and the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And so the servants go out into the streets and collect up people and bring them in. And yet the house is still not full. And they say, God, the, the master, the house isn't full. There's still room. And it says, go out to the highways and to the hedges and compel people to come that my house may be filled. And so we don't stop just because we got shot down. We keep going. 
And in this passage, we see two people identified, which represent the people of the day. The first is the blind, the crippled, and the lame, and the poor. And that represents the sinners and the prostitute, what I'm going to call the unlovely. That these are the messy people in our lives. These are the people that you would think would be most against the idea of following Jesus. And Jesus says, go to them. So who in your workplace, who in your school, you were like, oh, they're too messy. You know, I don't know. And uh, they would do things that wouldn't be predictable. They, would, they, they might be really angry. They might use curse words in God's house. Um, God says, go get them. Bring those in. And then he says, go out to the highways and to the hedges. And those were the Gentiles of the day. Those, those were the people that were different. What I'm going to call the unlikely. The people that we would say, well, they're different than Grace Anglican. They're different than us. And God says, go bring them in as well. Keep inviting people to come follow me. So I would encourage you, don't give up. Go and tell until God's house is full. What we don't want, we can hear all sorts of excuses. Any excuse is okay. God's okay with excuses. He wants us to keep asking, but what we don't want is somebody to say, I never heard, I never knew. That's the only excuse that we don't want to hear. And so we keep inviting. And it's really encouraging to hear stories roll in of different things that you guys tried. And a lot of people said, I invited somebody and they didn't, they didn't come or they're not going to come. And I'm like, that's okay. You invited somebody. There was one lady at the church that invited 11 people to come to Alpha. That's amazing. One, another lady at church wore a pin that said, ask me about Alpha. Now, it wasn't threatening. She was just inviting a conversation. And numerous people at the library and what places she went around town would ask her, what's Alpha? And it would be an opportunity to invite all sorts of different people. And that's what we want to do is create a culture of invitation that we pray for people and we invite people. And we pray for people and we invite people. And the hardest part is getting moving. And what I think happened as a church as we went out into the world, as we moved from zero miles an hour on the track to one mile an hour on the track. If it's a train, the hardest part is getting it from not moving to moving. And we might be thinking, well, we only got, you know, this many people. Or we only, uh, you know, we're only going a couple miles an hour. That's the hardest part. What we want to see, therefore, is momentum built from there. It's a lot easier to move from two miles an hour to five miles an hour to ten miles an hour. What we want to do is create a culture where we are constantly inviting people to come follow Jesus. And if they give excuses, that's okay. We're just going to keep praying for them and keep inviting more people. I would love for somebody in a, in a couple years from now to be like, that's it. That's it. I've heard about Alpha seven times from seven different people. All of them go to this Grace Anglican church. I got to go check it out just so they'll leave me alone. I would love to see that. Or they keep inviting me to Easter Sunday. Or they keep inviting me to Christmas Eve. Or they keep inviting me to women's events. Man, these guys really must believe that Jesus is alive. That's what we want to do. Create that type of a culture. And I believe God is going to do it. He's going to lead us out into that. Don't give up. Keep inviting people. Go and tell until his house is full. And Mike and I will tell you when we're like, okay, stop inviting people. When the house is truly full, we'll tell you, stop inviting people. But until then, keep going. We'll keep going. And I got to see a great picture of the kingdom of God uh, a handful of years ago when the town that I was living in, Columbia, South Carolina, uh, 
decided to throw a New Year's bash. It was a New Year's Eve bash. Um, they called it famously hot New Year's because Columbia, South Carolina is a very hot city. Um, not hot in a cool way, but like just like literally hot. Um, it said, we're famously hot New Year's. We're going to throw a big party. And something you have to understand about Columbia, South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina is not a party city. Okay? It's not New York City. It's not Las Vegas. It's not a party city. And guys, I understand Grace Anglican Church if we're not a party church, like we do a lot of things really well, but most people don't drive by the bell tower and say like, that church knows how to party. Um, that's, that, you know, that's, that's not, you know, our, our disposition as Anglicans, you know, we come from the English, you know, the English are very prim and proper, you know, but Columbia, South Carolina said, we're going we're gonna to host a party. And they invited for their inaugural kickoff party, George Clinton, and from Parliament Funkadelic. Nobody? Yes, a few people. Okay, so if you don't know who George Clinton is, go check him out. George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic. He is the king of funk. So you know that song, we've got the funk, gotta have that funk, funk. You know that song? Okay, so you know who he is. So Red Hot Chili Peppers, everything they learn, they learn from George Clinton. And it was amazing to see people show up not really knowing what to expect. And George Clinton and his band got up there and they started, you know, dancing and moving and getting people going and everybody started swaying. And the reality is, guys, Grace Anglican Church, no, we're not a party church. But Jesus is here. He's alive. He's risen. He is living and active, moving in ways through you guys, in very powerful ways. And so we've invited him to be the Lord of this church. And he knows how to bring life and vitality. And man, that picture on that night was a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God as the streets flooded with people. And you got to know about Columbia. It's a racially divided city. It's the city that just brought down the Confederate flag a few years ago. It's a racially divided city. But what I saw that night was African Americans and white people dancing together in the streets. It was a beautiful thing. And it's a city where there's lots of different people struggling from homelessness and there's affluent college kids. And that night I saw guys that I had done homeless ministry with and there they were dancing in the streets next to you know, frat boys and sorority girls. And it's, a, it's the state capital. It's a politically divided city. But there you saw people on different sides of the fence dancing. And there was a sense of hope that night. Because it was New Year's. Maybe this can be a new city. And some of the things that's divided us. We can be brought together. And the sad thing was, a week later, people had moved back to the, you know, had gone back to where they live. People had gone back to throwing mud at each other. But that's not what Jesus has come to do. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a little bit of hope. That Jesus comes to change us from the inside out. That when Jesus comes, He brings new freedom. When Jesus comes, He brings new forgiveness. When Jesus comes, He brings new power. Jesus comes and He takes those who are mourning and turns them 
to dancing. Those who are in sorrow and gives them joy. Jesus comes and breaks down the dividing wall of hostility between those who have differences. Jesus comes to exalt the lowly and to humble the exalted. But that's what Jesus has come. He's come to inaugurate the party. And we are his party people. And we get to go and share about what he's come to do. So don't give up. Keep sharing. This is what Jesus has come to do. So I'm going to pray for us now that, that God would give us an excitement about what he has done in our lives so we can go share that with other people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, pray for each of us in this room. Lord, that we would be excited about what you're doing in the world. You would give us a bigger vision of what you've come to do. Lord, I pray specifically, Lord, that you would help us as a church continue to go share with others. And we're going to do it in our way. We're going to do it from our personalities. Lord, but I pray that we would continue to invite people to come follow you, that your house may be full. In Jesus' name, amen.